0: I'd like to welcome you to our inaugural uh, webinar today as part of the ICBA webinar series. And with us today we have Deirdre Giblin, who's the Vice Chair of the Ireland Canada Business Association and Director of Development for National College of Ireland, and Pierce Connolly, who's Head of Fixed Income with Bank of Ireland Global Markets. So thank you for joining us on this lovely sunny day, and I'm going to hand you over now to Deirdre. Great, thanks, William Cleason.
1: Welcome to everybody on our calls. We call them or meetings these days. It's to see Austin from um, Ottawa. Austin, lovely to see you walking through the crisis with a few of us on Twitter. So great to have Canadian, Irish Canadian input as well. And welcome to all. I think I see days, Austin on the call as well. So we're delighted to have Pierce with us today. I think we're all very concerned about how the... With the economic impact of COVID, I think we've spent the last while getting used to the dreaded working from home, Zoom mm. and MS Teams calls, and all that go with it. Now we can look out to see what is happening out there in the wider world. So I hope nothing better than to have one of our Bank of Ireland colleagues to explain to us with the view that he and his organization have as to what's actually happening out there. So Pierce leads um, a team of eight traders. He's focused on interest rates and credit markets, and the Canadian rates market is part of what he and his team does. Pierce has been, uh, I think, 15 years in this space and has a Masters in Economics from Trinity. So we're delighted to have Pierce with us today. So Pierce, I'll hand over to you, and you're going to go through a presentation with us. And also then, uh, Kate, I think, has taken questions online through the chat mechanism on Zoom. I'm much more MS team, so I'm a little bit of a Zoom novice. So Kate's looking after that end of things for us. So as the questions come through, I'll keep an eye on them, and there may be similar ones that I can group together to push to Pierce towards the end. Thanks a million. Over to you, Chris.
2: Thanks, Sarah. Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you all for taking the time to join today. It's a testing time in many ways. Our economies, liberties, and health systems are facing great disruption. Um, uncertainty abounds and I can, you know, empathize with the, the challenges that uh, your businesses and organizations are dealing with. We had an event back in late January down in Shannon and, uh, you know, it seems a lifetime ago. The world has, has changed a great deal. So today I, I plan to give an updated economic outlook with focus on the European and Canadian economies. Uh, many aspects of, of COVID-19 are universal. So the effects, the fallout, the responses we've seen and, and the potential path forward. Uh, are all quite common. So uh, Derger has has given me a very a very generous uh, introduction there. So I won't uh, I won't linger linger on that. And um, just to say a little bit about Bank of Ireland, some of the things we do, we manage customer flows in foreign exchange and and interest rates. and We hedge the bank itself, and we leverage that flow by taking risk in markets where we see opportunities. So we we tend to have. Um, a bit of skin in the game um, and we believe that that gives us um, an insight beyond commentary and hopefully is of value to both customers and uh, at events and uh, for me certainly an inaugural webinar like today Um, we look at the the big drivers like central bank policies um, high frequency economic data and geopolitics Uh, so when when, uh, I was kindly asked back to present uh, only a few months after the event in January, I took a, uh, an admittedly slightly nervous look at my, um, at my notes from, uh, from earlier on in the year, and uh, thankfully coronavirus did get a few mentions there, so I wasn't, uh, wasn't completely blindsided by it. Clearly it now dominates to a degree that no one, no one could have predicted whatsoever. Um, you know, we did feel the risks were tilted to the downside in terms of, of growth globally in Europe and Canada back then. But those risks have materialized in really in record time because of, of the aggressive virus. And um, my presentation is in, uh, in three parts. So uh, firstly, I look at the economic uh, impact of COVID-19 and some forecasts for the rest of the year. Secondly, the response by the authorities, both on the monetary and fiscal side, and um, spoiler alert, it's been it's been quite massive. And um, then finally, just how we're thinking about the future. So, if we, I suppose, just to give a bit of context, if we if we think back to the start of the year, we came into 2020, describing global growth as being okay, not spectacular. Growth in Canada and the US. Um, where what I would have described as late cycle. So, you know, post the, the great financial crisis in 8 09, and GDP had been expanding since. And a, an expansion in growth of kind of, you know, 10 to 12 years is quite rare in a in a historical context. So something generally comes along and upsets the apple cart before that period of time has passed. So and in some ways, uh, you know, something was always going to derail things. Um, there was quite a lot of optimism uh, coming into the year as, as the U.S. and China uh, seemed to be making a resolution on the trade wars and tariffs that had been a big overhang in the second part of 2019. So the Canadian economy was weakening a little bit and um, there were teacher strikes and other temporary factors um, kind of pulling it down and back at home here in, in Ireland and Europe and european growth was expected to be about just over 1% which is below trend and uh, we were hoping for some fiscal stimulus and government spending uh, to help increase that growth um clearly covid-19 has has kind of you know blown all these projections out of the water it's, it's the biggest pandemic to hit in a century a very unforeseen black swan event and um, and it also given it emanated in, in china which is where you know, so many global supply chains source um, source labour and goods. Kind of has, has complicated matters as well. Um, if I if I move on to the next slide here, this slide is attempting just to put a bit of context around the growth hit that we're getting from from COVID nineteen. Um, so to, to to go back to the previous crisis, the the, the Lehman Brothers, the 0809 crisis, global GDP fell by 0.1% in 2009. So one-tenth of one percent. Um, China and emerging economies were relatively unaffected. The IMF have come out recently and they forecast a 3% hit for 2020. So it's a, a, a magnitude of 30 times worse than, than what we saw in 09, when, you know, for, for many people it felt like there was, you know, serious threats. It's the worst growth outcome since World War II. Um, if you look at the purple lines on the on the bottom graph, you can see, that on the right hand side, back in 09, China and India continue to grow quite strongly. Whereas the nature of a, of a public health pandemic means they've been they've been pulled in this time as well, and they're, they're probably just going to barely grow in uh, in 2020. Um, what what we can to uh, you know be optimistic? I mean, the nature of, of lockdowns etc. is that if if uh, as we all hope they come to an end, the sharp decline we're seeing we should see quite a strong rebound in in, in late 2020 and 2021. So the IMF, for example, is um, expecting... Uh, Canada to grow by about 4.2% in 2021. So the debate you see a lot in the press and um, you know, from economists is whether we get, you know, a V-shaped recovery where it's a big plunge down but a big a big rebound, whether it's U-shaped so it takes a bit longer, uh, or you know if you're very pessimistic it's kind of L-shaped it goes down and doesn't really go back up, or um, some people are kind of talking about a, a Nike swoosh type thing where you get a sharp. Sharp fall and then it uh, it, um, it kind of it rises back up. And of course, these hand gestures are much harder to do on Zoom than on a stage in front of people. But uh, hopefully, hopefully you're all getting the picture. Um, many businesses can survive short lockdowns, especially when there's government support. But few businesses, even good ones, um, can survive very long lockdowns. A lot of businesses will will run into cash flow difficulties after about three months. So. Um, a liquidity crisis becomes a solvency crisis, and that's just something we'll, we'll kind of come back to later. Um, just to move on to the to the next slide here, um, you know, unfortunately, um, mass layoffs are, are, are with us. So this just shows uh, projections for Canadian GDP and Canadian unemployment. And um, if we look at the unemployment charts, um, we actually get fresh data from Canada tomorrow on, on, on employment. Um, and the projections are that we're going to see 5 million job losses across March and April. The unemployment rate going up to about 18% from 5.5%. Um, Oil sector, which is important for Canada, uh, has been hard hit as well. But, I mean, we're, we are we are literally talking about going off the charts in terms of what we've seen over the last decade or more in terms of, of unemployment. Uh, in Ireland, uh, the unemployment rate is expected to average about 13.5% over 2020 um, and, and could spike up as far as 20% in this quarter. And... Um, you know what? What I think what's important to say is, is whereas people in the uh, in the financial sector and economists like myself can, you know, try and make projections and say what we think it is. It's important i suppose, supposed to bear in mind this is a public health issue, and ultimately the recovery is very dependent on. Uh, Treatment, prevention, vaccines, uh, and, and all the stuff that uh, we're, we're reading about, and our politicians are trying to organise. So that is the, that. That is what will drive it. Um, it. It started in China, and obviously China has a very centrally controlled economy, and can, you know, put in quite draconian measures to uh, to remedy things that often won't happen in in the West. And you know, Italy has borne borne the brunt uh, initially in Europe. Um, but I suppose one thing we, we could say is that uh, countries with strong medical systems, like Germany and Denmark, where they have quite uh, some excess capacity in their health systems, have coped a bit better. So the economic impact in terms of scale and speed has been unprecedented. And um, the better news is that the response by monetary and uh, fiscal institutions has has been unparalleled. So moving on here to look at the uh, the monetary policy response. Um, so, you know, uh, as, uh, as my mother often said, desperate times call for desperate measures. And uh, if you're looking at the monetary side uh, on, on this slide here, um, below the zero line in Navy, you can see the amount of interest rate cuts by countries. So there's, there's quite a lot of countries on it. But if you move three and four in from the left-hand side, you see the U.S. and Canada. And in, in both those countries, they cut interest rates by 1.5% down to zero. And in addition, a lot of developed countries have uh, restarted their quantitative easing programs, so this is uh, known as QE, and it's, it's the policies they implement to provide additional stimulus when the interest rates are at the, at the lower bound. Um, and You can see here that above the line, and Canada and the US have both effectively announced open-ended QE, which is, is very powerful, has very big effects, as, as we will show. Um, in Europe, and uh, by extension in Ireland, we entered the crisis with the ECB having interest rates already negative at minus 50 basis points. So they've been unable to cut rates. I mean, we, potentially we could see a small cut in the future, but really they're, they're, they're kind of at the outer bound of what they can do there. Over on the right-hand side, in, in the green bar, you will see the ECB have relaunched uh, um, QE uh, to the tune of a trillion euros for 2020. So kind of mind-boggling numbers. Um and actually the expectation is that they may increase that at their next meeting in June. Um, it's you know, it, it's often it's often quite difficult to um you know, to put these numbers in context, when you start moving from millions to billions to trillions, it, it all kind of, uh, you know, sounds a bit like, uh, like something Dr. Evil would be laughed at for talking about in, in movies. And well, I just thought this was an interesting, interesting slide here, and it hmm. shows um, the U.S. Federal Reserve, what they've done. So if you look at the, the orange line with the kind of broken bars on it, this is comparing their current uh, stimulus to all their prior QE programs. And you can see that they've been, they've, they've done more already than in a number of, of the previous programs which ran for longer than a year. So they, they bought one, they injected a trillion dollars into the market in four weeks. I mean, that's, you know, that type of action would have been unthinkable even, even, a, you know, at Christmas time. No one would have, no one would have predicted that. So it's a, uh, you know, big problem, big response on the monetary side. On the fiscal side, I think in some ways it's, it's more interesting and maybe it says uh, quite a bit about, you know, North America versus Europe and, and how we approach problems. Um, but the message is, is similar in that um, governments have thrown money at the problem, and which is, is the right thing to do where they can. Um, the bar on the on the right-hand side of the chart shows uh, we've got 9% of the primary balance injected as uh, as, as immediate kind of spending. Um, which outweighs the six and a half percent we would have seen in prior crises in 2009. Um, so when you when you when you add all that together, what we're looking at is the biggest combined stimulus package in history, um, which is is a, you know a, you know very significant. So you know many of you may kind of wonder why um, if you're if you're monitoring your 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 pensions, your 401ks, the stock market, or whatever, it obviously had a very aggressive sell-off. February and March, but um, certain U.S. markets have recovered significantly. And um, you know, uh, historically, what has happened is when you see a response in in terms of stimulus on this scale, stock markets do tend to uh, do tend to rally. Now, I think we're probably getting to the tail end of of um, policymakers announcing additional measures, so the stock market may kind of run out of run out, peter out a little bit here. But uh, I suppose if there's one thing, maybe to take away from today it's that the one of the big lessons of the, of the previous uh, crisis is that governments which provide adequate stimulus to their economy have healed much faster than those that haven't uh, so it is actually very important um, to for the for the for the, the public sector the government to come in and spend when the private sector is I mean, in this case literally locked down in their homes and unable to uh, unable to kind of spend money um, if we if we move to the next slide and just look at uh, what Canada specifically has announced, uh, I mean they haven't been found wanting it's been immense. So cut rates of 150 basis points. They've relaxed collateral requirements. Uh, they've launched QE both in government bonds, mortgage bonds, and in provincial bonds. So the Bank of Canada has acted quickly and aggressively. And We see on the right-hand side, on the fiscal side, the Canadian government has been equally, um, you know, large and fast in how they've responded. Um, and if, if I think I quite like the next slide, uh, if uh, if I can just flick on there, and um, this compares the the relative magnitude of the response in, in the in the U.S. and Canada, and you can see that for the size of the Canadian economy, they've actually they've actually had a bigger response. Um, and uh, this, this gives me a lot of comfort and a high degree of confidence if, if, you know, if I'm Canadian or exposed to the Canadian economy and market um, that they can, Canada can emerge well from this crisis. So it entered, it entered the crisis with space and it's using it and it's, it's using it, it, it well. In Europe, um, the response has been much more fractured on the fiscal side. Uh, a big problem for Europe for many years has been the divergence of growth uh, within, within the Eurozone. And um, so, you know, you have Germany, you, Ireland at times, uh, and some of the stronger northern European countries have, have grown very well, whereas Italy, Portugal, Greece, notably some of the other countries uh, haven't done as well. Um, and that kind of creates political tensions and, and, and ultimately questions the cohesion of the of the Eurozone, if, if, if you know, certain kind of Radical parties then enter power. They start to question whether or not you know their societies are are better off in the eurozone or not in the eurozone. And it's you know not not an unreasonable question to ask if your living standards are are you feel have been affected. Um, and, of course, the, the, the kicker here is that, you know, unfortunately for Italy, which is one of the countries that is on the weak side, and um, they've been the epicenter in, in Europe in terms of coronavirus. They've been very hard. Um, so thinking about the, the policy response in Europe, uh, Germany has um, responded much quicker, and it's, 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 uh, it's done about 11% of GDP. So it, it compares quite favorably with Canada and the US. France, Italy, Spain, Ireland—they're all around two percent of GDP. Um, and the, you know, the danger—we we we all worry for good reasons that you know governments are perhaps spending too much, and you know, will there have to be austerity or tax raises to tax tax increases to pay for it over time? But like in a situation like this, actually, the danger is, is not that you spend uh, too much; it's that it can be that you spend too little to uh, kind of get the economy moving again. So that's that's a, that's a concern. Um. I wanted—I mean, oil has been extremely topical recently, so I, I wanted to just chat briefly about oil. It's, it's not something we we trade, but uh, it is an important uh, part of financial markets. Um, uh, it's been in the press quite a bit, um, and oil is about ten percent of the of the Canadian uh, Canadian GDP is driven by the oil sector. Um, so, uh, West Texas Intermediate, which is the uh, U.S. Um, oil. Kind of standardized uh, oil contract, uh, traded negative to the tune of $40 a few weeks ago, and got a lot of press. Um, I mean, it's, it's kind of very hard to conceptually get uh, a world where oil is someone will pay you to take a, 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 a can of or a, a barrel of oil off them when, when wars have been fought uh, over oil in the not too distant past. Um, and I suppose this, this reflects a couple of things. It reflects the very big macroeconomic shock and lack of demand for oil and other other basic commodities and metals that a growth slowdown uh, would typically get. And there's also some kind of technical factors around how oil is stored um, in uh, Cushing in Oklahoma. I'll be quite honest, I didn't know an awful lot about the storage piece until a couple of weeks ago. I've read up on it, it's kind of interesting, whereas in Europe we, we, we store a lot of the Brent uh, crude oil offshore. In the U.S., it's it's all stored in um, inland, in Cushing, in Oklahoma, and effectively there was no room at the inn. There were it, it was all full, so that you know they literally couldn't couldn't take any more oil. Um, there's been direct impact on Canada about 120,000 jobs have been lost in Alberta. Obviously, the, the tar sands are there, oil and, and commodities are a big part of the economy. And we saw the Canadian government do a 2.4 billion package to support that sector. Um, I think it's, it's quite possible that we see more volatility in the oil market as a whole. You know, I think there's probably some political games going on between Saudi Arabia, the US and Russia um, as well in the background. And um, so if I if I kind of move to the future then and, and what do we think? And, um, you know, it's uh, we've all been at presentations where the presenter talked about that, you know, heightened uncertainty and how hard it is to predict the future and so uh, you know uh, it's fair a thought for me and I'm, I'm not even sure my two-year-old won't come barging into the room before we're done um, but uh, we'll have to live with that. Um, what, what I can say is that you know as people adjust to the lockdown there's probably certain and a big, you could call them mega trends. That that you know, if if you're not discussing them in your organisation or, or thinking about them, it, it might be worth worth out just you know putting your heads together on. Um, it's a few things that, that probably have changed. Uh, you know, I think one is that governments are going to be a lot bigger. They're spending a lot, and they will take stakes in in many industries uh, to try and help them out. It's not just banks as it was last time out. Um, We've had uh, decades of, you know, higher returns on capital than labour and I think, you know, this, this, this crisis has, you know, I think hopefully taught a, a lot of people the lesson, you know, that, um, you know, minimum hours contracts and, and, and not paying, you know, very important workers properly. Uh, for important jobs, uh, hopefully that trend should resort. I think societal preferences will dictate that. I mean, let's be honest, cleaners have been as important as CEOs in the last couple of months uh, for, for all our welfare, if not more so. And China is, from, from what we can gather, coming out of this badly. It's handled it badly. Um, there's a lot of, um, you know... There's a lot of, I suppose, speculation about how coronavirus started, could it have been stopped, could it have been managed better. Um, so I think, you know, deglobalization a lot of goods and, and, and uh, you know, technologies and stuff are sourced there and sold overseas. And I think people will want certain things, be it PPE, be it ventilators, be it other things um, built at home or closer to home uh, around the world, um, even if it costs a bit more. So that this kind of you know thirty to forty year trend of globalization um, I think is hitting a very big speed bump if not if not going into reverse. Um, just looking at the at the the tone in the US, I think China bashing will continue into the into the US election. Um, you know, I think Trump is is yeah. had previously been lauding the economy. That's obviously now under pressure, so it's just one of the few cards he can play. Um Ways of working, I think, uh, you know, are not going to revert to what they were a few months ago, so that's something else to consider, and um, the other thing is, I mean, the, the, the policy response is absolutely massive, um, but what we can say is that um, the um, there could be side effects, so, like, I think inflation will stay very low, it's been low for a number of years, but I think the tail risk of very high inflation has gone up, because so much money has been has been has been thrown at the problem that you know historically and um, that that has tended to create inflation. Um, so just I mean just a, 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 another chart just showing the amount of liquidity that has been pumped into the system, and again it's just you know really 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 huge. Um, In terms of the economy, we think that the recession will be steep in in 2020. If things go well on the medical side, we can start to come out in Q3, Q4. Um, I think V-shape recovery is is, uh, i struggle with that. I I think you have to be quite optimistic. I think it's going to be difficult. I think a U-shape is more likely It would be a good outcome. I'm more optimistic on, on the US and Canada than the eurozone um, for the for the reasons I've mentioned earlier around kind of uh, scale, and of response, and speed of response and, and, and the cohesion. Um, interest rates are going to be very low um, for quite a long time, um, and central banks to, to trying and, and keep them low so that all the all the debt can be be refinanced. Um, in Canada, there was a uh, a new central bank program announced last week, uh, Tiff Macklem, who cut, cut his teeth in the 2008 crisis, and um, his first references uh, suggested that he, he, if he needs to do more unconventional measures, he will. So um, that's, uh, that's that's the situation there. If I move on to the sorry, the, just the, uh, the yeah, sorry, the slide. I'm on. Really, it's um, just to to, to speak a, a little bit about you know the difference between liquidity and solvency. Um, so you know we've clearly had a, a huge shock. Central banks are pushing in a huge amount of liquidity, which is you know certainly supporting asset prices right now and supporting businesses. And they're making a number of facilities available to businesses to you know make sure they have the kind of funding and working capital that they need over the, over the next period of time. If the lockdowns continue for too long, or we are in a series of rolling lockdowns, or the second any of those kind of downside risks, and um, Uh, come to materialise, then the the liquidity um, injection will no longer mask what will become a solvency crisis as as firms are unable to sell products and get, get cash flow in the door and so I think there's quite a big divergence between you know Wall Street and the real economy if you want to if you want to put it like that so you know that's a that's a source of concern and I think um, equity markets are are a little optimistic here and the final slide is um, just to go back to one we would have have spoken about this maybe of interest to kind of people importing and exporting uh, between Ireland and Canada it's the Euro-Canada foreign exchange rate um, so I had flags like, uh, back in, in January when at the event that uh, around the mid 140s was quite a good level for Irish exporters exporting to Canada to maybe try and take some of that risk out of the business or, or lock in a rate. Um, I think that's, that that has worked uh, quite well, and I think if we get up towards you know anywhere near 116, maybe it's it's uh, prudent to uh, consider taking that hedge off. Um, so like. I, I've gone on for a while now, so to sum up, um, you know, I think COVID-19 has, has changed everything. It's a huge shock and it's a huge response. I think probably, uh, I'm, I'm sorry to disappoint, but I'm not optimistic enough to believe in the V-shape. I think it's more U-shape recovery um, and hopefully we get there. I think higher debt levels are with us. And we're going to see inventive policies from central banks and we're going to see, Uh, low rates uh, for some time to come Um, and if we start to see rates rising in markets that's probably not a great sign um, in the near term, at least, it may it it, it, pr- it will happen at some point, and hopefully for good reasons. But just beware of the of the side effects of of, of throwing so much at a problem. It's never been done in this scale before. And um, I think th- just thinking very locally, obviously, post the last the crisis, um, there were austerity measures introduced pretty quickly to try and get the 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 budget's back in balance. I think probably lessons have been learned and that would be slower to be introduced uh, this time. Um, and to, to finish on an optimistic note, you know, for, for all the reasons I've gone through, I think Canada actually is is one of the countries that, you know, has, has benefited from very prudent um, uh, economic management down the years. Um, and it, 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 you know, had space to react going into this crisis. It has done so, I think, in a, in a very... Um, commensurate in a sensible way and I think um it's one of the countries I'd be more optimistic about um, uh, coming out to the side. So um I'm, I'm that's all, all I wanted to say really and I'm very happy to take uh, questions.
1: Great. Thanks a million Pierce. Um you gave us a good balance, a little bit of light hopefully at the end of the tunnel and then we're in we're in a U. Um, what I'm taking away from it is Canada is is Canada a bit much better place than us purely because of the European situation? The, you say the Europe is fragmented and a little bit fractured in the response. You and I talked yesterday about something that's got to do with the history of Europe as well as the composition of Europe. Um, it's great for our Canadian colleagues and for trade with Canada to think, wow, Canada's doing a great job. I'm a little concerned about Ireland.
2: Yeah, I mean, I suppose... Um yeah, I mean, as as we chatted yesterday, uh, Deirdre, and I suppose just to uh, to, sh- to share the nature of that, it's, it's 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 I mean, it's kind of interesting in a historical context. But uh, the, the North America tends to be um, scarred by the 19, the late 1920s and 30s, the Great Depression, and um, generally the response is, uh, we will never let that happen again. So therefore, uh, whatever we need to do, we'll do it, and we'll do it in size. And, and we're kind of seeing that in the response now. Um, In Europe, uh, Germany certainly is scarred by by a similar period in time, but it's more on the hyperinflation side and and kind of what that then led to in terms of of World War II, etc. So there's a similar sort of, we're never letting that happen again, uh, but for different reasons. So you can sometimes see a much much slower reaction in Europe, even if you go back to the last crisis, uh, the U.S., I mean, just to simplify it a bit, they got everyone into a room and said, how much do we need to throw at this 500 billion? Okay, let's throw 800 billion at it. And they moved on. In Europe, they were still kind of arguing a few years later. So I do worry that the you know, Europe will um, will face challenges and there's been some fairly big public spats uh, between some of the finance ministers around common bond issuance. And, and this crisis is different as well because, I mean, from an equity and societal uh, perspective. It's, it's it's nobody's fault. and um, you know, it's not because the Italians or anyone else badly manage their economy. No one no one, no one can do anything about this. Um, Ireland, to be fair, I mean, one of the big things we have going for us is we are we are quite dynamic and we can grow. We can grow quite quickly. So I think if we were to see a um, you know, a bit more on the on the kind of pan-European response, then I think Ireland would would benefit. Uh maybe more so than, than some of the others, but um yeah, I'm I'm uh, I, I don't know if I've been optimistic yeah, enough. Yeah, uh,
1: yeah. And I, I in my own in my own business I spent this morning on a call with three Secretary Generals of government departments around uh, labour activation. And in fairness the, the consensus at the end of the calls was because I'm looking for money for Labour activation was good ideas will be funded we are in unprecedented times. So I was heartened coming away from those calls that they are absolutely understanding that this is quite different to our two thousand eight etc scenario. I've got throw a few questions that appears our good friend Dave Austin wants to ask you um, what do you think about companies who have paid strong regular dividends and have announced uh, stopping like Shell?
2: So it's like and have announced
1: stopping those, the payment of those dividends.
2: Yeah, um there's definitely a pressure on companies from um, uh, from regulators to uh, cease dividends so that they can um you know redirect I suppose dividends are are often seen as and, and executive pay for example are often seen as benefiting those at the at the at the top of the at the top of the tree um so a lot of companies will be under pressure certainly on, on the banking sector where the the there's a lot of um you know regulation around around different metrics. Um, they will be under under some pressure to uh, not do sh- things like share buybacks, which uh, is something that had been going on a lot, um, and to uh, pull back dividends. I think Shell or one of the big oil companies, I think, um, suspended their dividend for the first time in forty or fifty years last week. So I think that's prob- that. on um, executive pay, I think, it's going to be, um, you know, as a as a society, uh, I think those things are you know, going to be in the crosshairs if a company wants wants to do that. I mean, it's just, it's not really, uh, you know, uh, I mean, I know the, the EasyJet guy, I think, paid himself 30 or 40 million quid or something and then furloughed a load of employees and, you know, I think kind of...
1: No, it's not palatable.
2: Society isn't going to really accept that and those those actors will, will come under pressure. Yeah.
1: Thank you. And Austin after, after is asking a question around CETA. So... A lot of um ground was made since CETA was even provisionally ratified. And as the markets contract, do you envisage the gains being made under CETA can be recovered quickly?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, yeah, look, I, I think I think I think they probably can. Um you know, I think there is there is a kind of it's unclear to me how the, the, the globalisation, deglobalization globalisation debate kinda of moves a little bit, but I think there's always been very strong um linkages between between Canada and, and Ireland and Canada and Europe Um so I think obviously uh the of Brexit uh, is also going on in the background so I think um I think I think yeah yeah I think that should be okay
1: and then Chris our chair the question which is around we have an issue that we've brought to government a few times and we've put out opinion pieces on it around. Housing prices um, for FDI companies. We have cases where companies came into Ireland and literally had to leave Ireland again. Canadian companies because they could not get accommodation for their staff. Yeah. How do you think the housing market is going to be impacted?
2: Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Um, I mean, not, not not to get on a hobby horse, but you know, I think in Ireland we have a, we have a slightly unhealthy obsession with house prices, and I think the reality is that. Um, High house prices aren't really good for anybody. Um, so I think, what, I suppose, what encourages me a little bit is the, um, the the last election here. I think housing housing was, I mean, it took. I I figured it would be a big issue. It was bigger than I was taken aback at, at the at the severity of it, both in terms of prices and also the rental market. So I think um, I know we we seem to be quite close to getting a new government formed here, and I think whatever government is formed um i think they will know that they would be obliterated at the next election unless they address um housing shortage and rents and uh, the general kind of unaffordability of housing um as uh, as someone um you know i suppose Fina Fall obviously are, are quite uh, have been we're in, were in were in power in the 2000s when the economy went badly off the rails here um, but as, as uh, I just recall, someone saying to me a few months ago, you know, say what you want about Fianna Fáil but they know how to work with builders. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I think it will be. Obviously, coronavirus is, is a huge, is the number one issue for um, the, the government of the day. But I think once that um, and hopefully that 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 passes into a more normal state, I think housing is back on on the on the top of the agenda. And I mean woe betide anyone who goes in front of the electorate not having addressed it next time. So I, I would be confident that some things can be done and, and will be done.
1: And my, I think I have a closing question for you, Pierce, um, which is, is about government, as you mentioned there. So as we head into, hopefully by, hopefully by the end of this month, I would hope that we have, or uh, early next month, that we have a government in place. And as we see a pattern across the world for coalition-type governments, from a, an economist's perspective, what would the view be of Ireland going through our COVID recovery period with the formation that looks to be on the table at the moment?
2: Um, I mean, I think it's okay. Uh, I think if, if if I put on an external lens and and look at look at. Um, Ireland, in terms of a, a fundamentally strong economy, albeit one that's quite open, so therefore it, it does get buffeted around when things are bad. Ireland is quite cyclical, so the Irish government and the Irish state will need probably foreign funding over the next few years. So, as if I'm a, if I'm a foreign investor in Irish bonds, I want to look at, at a government that I think is stable. And if I look at Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael and Greens, I see a you know I don't see anything too radical there that scares me. Um, I see governments that have worked with European partners, you know, the IMF, etc., at various times in the in in the past. um are, are I think the Irish are generally seen as as being quite pragmatic. So um, I think that type of government, um, you know, we see it a lot in in Scandinavia, in in Germany now as well. Um, I think uh, you know, obviously, we've our own kind of historical reasons why it's it's unusual perhaps to see the two main protagonists. Um, Eyeing each other up, but um, you know, I think you know, time time moves on, and, and uh, I think it's probably it's it's probably uh, a, a good coalition, and um, for anyone who's sending capital into the country, it should be business friendly, it should be uh, you know, fiscally sensible, and um, should be stable and, and reliable. Uh, would would be would be my take on it.
1: Thank you Um, and with that as you earlier said that Canada is seen to be very prudent financially as well and we've had a very close relationship culturally, historically and also business wise with Canada for years and we obviously hope to continue that as we both and the rest of the world come through um, COVID COVID recovery. It appears on behalf of ICVA thanks a million you've been fantastic yet again for us Um, a bit sobering but (laughs) you've given us a bit of light at the end of the tunnel there as well and um, Kate maybe I would hand over to you and thank you to all our participants and our attendees Kate maybe I might hand over to you just to signpost our next webinar and to give people details about that thanks a million Pierce
2: thank you very much it's a pleasure and um yeah hopefully people found, found it found it useful and um you know feel free to, to drop me a line and um, you, you can you can get my details and happy to uh help out in any way
0: thank you Pierce for a superb presentation and what a way to go for our inaugural webinar i think you've raised the bar and it just strikes me how different it is since you gave the shannon presentation um at the on the 29th of january so thank you and dear dear, thanks for for doing your your moderating with with such flair as usual um our next webinar is on next thursday at four o'clock and we have um S- sabine Nalka who's the the, the current charge d'Affaires of the Canadian Embassy, and we have Suzanne Stell, who's the Senior Trade Commissioner in the Canadian Embassy. And Sabine and Suzanne are going to take us through the Canadian response to COVID. And, you know, how they were before COVID has helped sort of them have such an agile response and the, the policy space that's there at the moment. Thank you all for joining us today, and I hope you all have a good week. Thank you.